Five dates for your marriage. I can't believe we're, we're coming. Today we're halfway through. Uh, we're about to knock this thing out. I'm always shocked at how quickly everything moves. And so today we come, we come to our, our third date. And it, boy, if you remember last week, I said, we are not going on these dates to fight, right? And yet, if you look in your bulletin, the, the sermon title today is A Date to Fight. The uh, pastor's losing it, isn't he? <laughs> You're not supposed to agree with that. Now, I'm not losing it. I, at least I don't think today's message will be any evidence of that. No, we're, we're not being sent out to have a fight uh, on a date. But what we are going to discuss is, and this is a, a little word that's really big, how. We're going out to discuss how, not what, not what we fought about or what we're doing, but how we have that fight. And yeah, kind of like last week, this would seem kind of tricky you know, how do you, how do you have a conversation, begin a conversation on things we know we've hurt each other, d- disappointed each other, failed each other? How can we head down that road and it not just end up in another fight? It, it, it dig up all that old anger again. Well, would you believe it if I said it's actually easy to not end up down that road? It's easy to not have a, a, a fight in, the, in this again? As a matter of fact, I'm going to suggest we have an opportunity today, if we kind of follow the path that God gives us in His Word, to, to not only have a fight, a, a discussion about how we fight, but that it actually results in us being one. That it actually results in us being closer uh, together. That's a big one. That's a big thing right there because it's our fighting that makes us two. So uh, the the goal today would be to kind of set an agenda, to kind of set a path of, of a discussion that we're going to have. But before we do that, what I want to do is take just a moment to kind of give us the motivation that we would go on a date like this. The, the understanding by which we'll take on a date like this. And, and when I say the understanding, really a biblical understanding of anger. Because I thought we were talking about fighting, not anger. Well, where does fighting come from? Anger, don't be afraid to say it. Where does fighting come from? Yeah, anger. Anger's the fuel for our fighting. And, and we, if we're going to handle this right, folks, it's amazing. God's given you answers. He's given you answers for things you've prayed about. He's given you answers for the problems we have in, in our relationships. You know what? The, the problem is we don't follow the answer. We, we don't take at face value what he's saying and the strategy that, that, is, that is in that for us. So I want to start with just kind of the background, the mindset uh, of how we're going to approach this date. And, uh, you know, I'm, the good news is here today, I'm not going to tell you that your anger is wrong. I, I'm, I'm actually assuming that your anger is right. Now, of course, I'm saying that your, your mate next to you, that their anger is right too, right? So that doesn't seem to work. But no, I, I, I'm assuming that your anger is right. But understand, even in your right anger, that doesn't mean you have the right to do whatever you want. That doesn't change the fact that there are still consequences. You're still responsible for how you handle your anger. Folks, that's a huge line. We we need to soak that in right there. As a matter of fact, the more right we think we are, often the more that we just remove all checks and balances. The the more we don't challenge our... Because I'm right! And so now, boom, everything that comes out of me is right. No, not, not at all is that the case. We, we are still responsible 
for what happens in our anger. So let's, let's look at a couple of verses. I'm right, we're going to look at three verses. They're short. They're kind of simple, which is, is interesting that I, I'm presenting it that way because, folks, the Bible has a lot to say about anger. It may be one of the most addressed emotions. As a matter of fact, I, I think probably... Anger and probably worry would be up there in competition. But anger, worry, these are the most addressed emotions that we have. And you know, when I think of all that the scripture communicates about anger, you know, a story that comes to my mind is is that of the life of Moses. I I mean, here's a a guy that that arguably we tend to look at as one of the most godly, faithful characters of Scripture. I mean, we think of him as not only close to God, but very close, right? I mean, even the Scripture says, hey, they knew him as the friend of God. This is the guy that, that saw God's face. I mean, this is a guy that, that really has it right with God. And, and he has led two million people right up to the border of the promised land. And then he can't go in. And you know why God says you can't go in? Because too many times, too many places, Moses inappropriately handled and dealt with his anger. I mean, do you understand that? You can be a a good person, a godly person. You can be rightly angry. But how you're handling that can absolutely undo life. Undo you enjoying and experiencing what God has for you. So this is really something, I mean, hey, we can fight and have problems and anger and issues with all kinds of people, but boy, marriage is a place we've got to rightly deal with that because there's such a, uh, you know, a repetitiveness to that in, in marriage. So let's look at a couple of verses up here, just three. The first one, Psalm 4, 4, be angry and do not sin. Now, this isn't challenging you that if you're, you know, feeling pretty good about life, getting along with everybody, you're in a good mood this morning, stop it. Find something to be angry about. No, that's not that kind of command. Read this more like you're going to be angry. It's a broken world with broken people, and you don't have to travel very far down the road before there's going to be things where you say, enough's enough. This is not right. This is, this is not okay. You're going to be angry in this world. Don't sin. Notice in that God's not challenging whether you're right or wrong. He's not challenging if you've thought about this or that. No, you're, you're going to be angry. You're still responsible. Obviously, this verse is the kind of the background to the, the line we just had up there a moment ago. So be angry and do not sin. Ephesians 4, there's a thousand years, by the way, between these two verses. And, 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 and Ephesians 4 just repeats and says the same thing. Be angry and do not sin. But it adds some information, right? It says don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the devil have that opportunity. Don't let him have that inside to your heart, your mind, your life that that anger gives him. You know, I I, I love this verse. I mean, it's a very, matter of fact, it's a very quoted verse. It's a very referred to verse in marriage, isn't it? And you'll have, you'll have couples sometimes say, oh, you know, the secret to our marriage. We've never gone to bed angry. Oh, we, we obey what Ephesians 4 says. Really? Do you go to bed at 6 o'clock? Because I don't. It doesn't say anything here about going to bed. It says before the sun goes down. 
All right? Not, not when you get in bed before dinner. Now, honestly, I, I don't think the Lord's concern here is the position of the sun or, or what time it is. You know what God's saying in that line? When you experience anger, the clock's ticking. That, that's what's been, you, you say, you ought to look at, like, the clock is ticking. And honestly, don't think you got much more than 24 hours. You, you are in a dangerous place. You're in a place that gives Satan uh, a, a special access to your life. And you need to be very careful, literally. That line right there saying, every minute you're in anger, you're in a, you're in a dangerous place. Think about that, folks. Because all throughout this room are people that have been anger been angry over a situation, over a person for years. Years that anger has, has been there, it has shaped, it's, it's had impact, it, it's affected. Uh, I mean, for, oh my God, there's more sunups and sundowns than we can count. You, you understand that we're rebelling against God. We're, yeah, but, no. It, you, see, now you want to justify your anger, right? You want to justify why... It, the scripture is not challenging your justification. It's not, it's not suggesting you're wrong. It's saying you can't live there. All that is is access for Satan. One more verse, James chapter 1. Let every person, now every person, relationships are made up of what? Persons. Situations are made up of what? Persons. So it, it, let every person... In every relationship, in, in every situation, this is always going to be the directive. Let every person in every relationship, in every situation, be rapid, super fast, quick to hear. I wonder how many of us in this room have read this verse more times than we could count. And there haven't been a single day we've thought about being quick to hear. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. Grind this thing down to a, a halt. <laughs> you, you know what? As long as there's voices speaking, anger does what? Keeps rising, keeps going up. All you got to do is remove one voice. I'm fine with removing one voice. Theirs. They're wrong. I'm the one that's right. We, we got to remove one voice, right? And then that gives you the opportunity to finish your obedience and uh, be slow to speak, slow to anger. We got to be slow to that. Yeah, but, but I'm right in my anger. Y yeah, but it's not going to be the tool God uses. Could you just hear that? I mean, folks, listen, I actually trust that that, that that anger you've been carrying, that maybe you've been carrying for years, I actually trust you're completely right about that. There is nothing for you to correct. It is, it is all, I'm not just saying that for a fact. I actually trust that about a lot of you. Your anger is still not going to be the tool that God's going to use to bring this to where it needs to be. Amen. Your anger is not going to... Boy, if I could just get them angry enough, I think I could get this fixed. God has never said that. He's not waiting for you to get angry enough so He can finally move this thing across the finish line. He, he's not going to use that. Okay, so there's three verses, a lot we could say about these three verses, but let me just draw three quick observations, three quick ideas we want to make sure we are kind of anchored to as we go out on this date, why we go out on this date. Number one, even right anger does not give me the right to do and say what I want. We can't sin. 
That, uh, obviously, that's a re repetition of something we've been saying. Okay, right anger doesn't give me the right. And folks, if we're honest with ourselves, the more right we think we are, the more right we press forward without thinking one bit what we're saying and doing. I, 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 I have the right to lose it. I have the right to have no self-control here. No, you don't. A lack of self-control is a sin. You, you don't have a right to be out of control. You don't have a right to, to say what you want. You don't have a right to cuss. You don't have a right to lie. You, you, you don't have a right to call names. You don't have a right to go tell others. Because, boy, when we're angry, we love to tell others. Because guess what our friends do for us? They always support everything that comes out of our mouth and I feel better about my anger and I feel more justified in my anger and now you together with me, we can be angry at them. That's a sin. Don't, don't think of it as anything else but full-on rejection of God and His path for you in this. You, you, don't, you don't have the right to do it. have the right to throw anything, slam anything, break anything, to touch anyone. No. Well, but, no, there's no but. It, it, it doesn't say anything about whether your anger is right or wrong. In your anger, you don't have the right to sin. Number two, deal with anger more now than later, right? I mean, we, we just said that from Ephesians 4. The clock is ticking, and every minute you're in anger, you're moving to a place that Satan wants for you. You know, we talk a lot, especially in church, right, about God's will for our lives, and boy, I want God's answer for this decision, or boy, I'd like to see God move in here and work. You, you know, Satan has all that too, right? Satan has a desire for your home, a desire for your marriage. He has something he wants to work in and do. And his biggest door into our life, his biggest door into the control room is our anger. That's what God is telling us here. Your anger gives him that access. So you, you've got to deal with that before he has that. And, and, and then, of course, number three, James, is James 1 is just giving us kind of the, the flip side of that, that same thing. No matter how right we are, our anger is not going to lead to God's work. It, it, God's saying, hey, listen, I'm not going to use your anger as a tool. So then that would be the reason why I want to be really slow. I know everything about the situation is telling me to ramp up the anger, to go faster in my anger, to think of all the stuff I need to say. And God's saying, slow down, slow down, slow down. That's not a good strategy. That's not what I'm going to use. Be still. Listen. Listen, you want to diffuse anger? Take one voice out of the conversation. Yeah, but mine's the right voice. You want to bring anger down? Take one voice out of the conversation. And listen. Listen to what they're... In all their wrongness, in all their wrong behavior, listen. Folks, sometimes when we're acting the very worst, it's because we're hurting the most, right? Not making excuses for what the other person is doing. But my goal is to get their wrongness out of my life. Well, then I need to get behind the wrongness. And What's going on here? Why is this? Well, listen. It takes some wisdom. But listen. That's how we are going to diffuse anger. Now, you know, whether it's verses or these points. I mean, these are the ones. This is the stuff in church we sit and listen to. And go, yeah, but. But, 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 but. You know, hear me say again, God's not challenging your anger. He's giving you a strategy. He's giving you a way 
to walk through this. These aren't, how many times we look at the Bible, oh, here's a list of rules that God gives to see if you can get into heaven. Folks, these things aren't about God ignoring the reality of where you live. He's not ignoring how awful that person is being or the the sin against you that has been committed out of love, out of kindness. He's telling you, here's what's going to work, here's what is not going to work. You want to involve me in it, then this is what I use and this is what I don't use. I mean, we need God the very most in this. And folks, God is coming to us in and through his word. He's telling us how to take that on. So that's kind of our backdrop. That's kind of our mindset now as we take our anger and not all relationships, but we kind of hone in on one. How are we going to deal with anger and the fights that come from that anger in our relationships? And and here's how you do it and never have a fight. The only thing you are going to talk about, and and obviously this, this can work in any relationship, but we're talking about marriage. The only thing you're going to talk about is what you've done wrong. I can guarantee you, your mate will not interrupt. Your mate will not interrupt, will not disagree, so you're not going to have a fight. Now, let's expand on that idea a a little bit more. I want to give you seven things, kind of an agenda of how this date is going to work. Don't be freaked out by the number seven. We're going to move through it kind of quickly here. Okay, so we're going out. We've, you know, we've ordered dinner or we're waiting for the, well, you can't do this before the movie starts unless you got there like 30 minutes early, right? But we're sitting there and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to acknowledge the tendencies I have in our fighting that is wrong. Now, uh, number one and number three kind of imply some homework. In other words, I didn't think about this while we were getting in the car. I, I have to think about this before we go out on the date. And I have to look back over the last two, three months and, you know, what, what do I say? What do I tend to do? You know, it it could be what's the worst thing I've done or what do I just kind of have a tendency to do. And that's where, you know, I I acknowledge, you know, I I, I tend to to storm out of the room and kind of leave you, leave the situation in in a kind of a real sense of insecurity. Oh, I, I, you know, I I tend to probably say some things that are, I don't want the kids to hear me saying that. I don't want that to be the way they're raised to deal with problems or, you know, I have a tendency to slam things. You know, we're, we're kind of thinking through and we're acknowledging, hey, th- this is what I tend to do wrong when we're arguing. Now, if I get all that out, obviously if I do that, well, number two just kind of naturally follows number one. You might even wonder, should they be two points or just one point? But if I've just acknowledged these things I tend to do, then the follow-up to that is I confess that as a sin and I ask your forgiveness. Wow, folks, i tell you something. This is... Again, all relationships, there's a massive difference between saying I'm sorry and saying I ask for your forgiveness. You know, when I say I'm sorry, I I don't even have to be humble to say that. There can be a spirit of pride in me when I say I'm sorry, and I'll use it that way. As a matter of fact, we all have. You say, what are you talking about? Like when an hour later or a day later you say, I told you I was sorry. See, that wasn't about serving a need and resolving something. That was about me being able to say, back off, I've done my part. But, but that's, it takes some humility to actually say, I've, I've sinned and I ask your forgiveness. It also, whereas I, when I say I'm sorry, I'm not necessarily dependent upon you for anything. That's why we say, I'm sorry that bothered you. 
when you fix it, right? Then I won't need to be sorry anymore. But when I say ask your forgiveness, now I'm in total dependence upon you, aren't I? There's a lot of humility in being totally dependent upon somebody. And so, you know, we're, we're, what we're saying here is, hey, listen, I, I, I realize the, these things I just talked about, that's not, that's not right. It doesn't honor the Lord. It doesn't honor you. It's not a model I want for our, our, our kids. And uh, I, I ask your forgiveness. And that's something I'm praying about. And, and I, hope you'll, I hope you'll pray for me in that. Now, in, inside, come on, let's be honest. Aren't you just chuckling a little bit like right now? Like, yeah, right, I'm going to say all that. You know, that's, that's, that's not pleasant stuff to say. That's not real. My guess is most of us have never said anything like that. Maybe you've come close, entered the neighborhood, but not, not that specific, not like that. You know, folks, in, in James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Confess your sins to one another. And, you know, a lot of times we take that verse, we interpret that verse to mean, you know, I should have some friends in my life that I can talk about, hey, here's where I struggle, here's where I have some problems, and we, we, you know, they do the same, and we pray for one another. Well, of course, yeah, that's absolutely a part of what James 5.16 means. But wouldn't you think that when God says, confess your sins to one another, that somewhere along the way that actually implies you're confessing it to the person you've sinned against? You, You know why we keep repeating the same sins over and over and we're never... I mean, I feel bad about them and I don't want to do them, but we're going to return right to it. You know what we're leaving out of God's formula? Confession. Because if you do number one and two and you actually say all that, I promise you this, you ain't going to want to do it again. I mean, there's nothing pleasant about this convert. That's the kind of thing that I sure hope I never have to do that again. I want to change. And see, that's, that's a big piece of the formula a lot of time that, that we leave out of our I feel so bad about what I did or what, what, what I do. So we're going to acknowledge the things we do. We're not talking about them. You say, well, when do they do theirs? Well, when you're done. When you're done with one through four, then they do one through four. So I'm going to acknowledge that. We're going to confess it. And then number three, now we're going to move in a little bit more positive of where we go from here. And, but it kind of involves the same thing. I'm going to kind of stop and think about what, what's the need in their life? Remember we talked a moment ago about listening. What's the need going on in their life that has led to this frustration, that has led to this argument? And again, it's real natural. Thing. Who's thinking about my need? We wouldn't be in this fight if they'd meet my need. Yeah, but, but we're thinking about their need right now. We're, we're listening to them. This probably is the hardest one of the things we're going to talk about this morning. Because, I mean, folks, sometimes our mate isn't in touch with what they need. It's not that they're just not telling you. They don't even know how to, 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 to verbal. Well, if they can't figure it out, how am I supposed to figure it out? By prayer. By, by asking the Lord, Lord, I need, I need wisdom. I don't, I don't see what's going on here. I don't understand why it's happening. There's, obviously, there's a need there. How can I meet that need? Now, folks, I'd like to kind of raise the level of this to a, to a new level for you. When you stood before God and your family and your friends and you, you took vows at an altar to marry each other, in that moment, what you just did before God was say, I am totally devoted to focusing all of my Christ-likeness on you. I am totally devoted to serving and loving and forgiving you. Because my one responsibility on this planet is to become more and more like Jesus. And in this relationship, I'll never stop working on it. Now, I'm supposed to be like Jesus in all my relationships, right? 
And, and so are you. And everyone, I mean, and, and doesn't the Bible kind of give us the whole spectrum? Here's how you're like Jesus with your enemies. Here's like how you're like Jesus with strangers and then with friends. And, and then, I mean, the whole spectrum of relationships. But y'all have heard me say this before. What I have in marriage is a place that I get to exercise being like Jesus 24-7. A, a, a relationship there's no break from. A, a, a relationship is not here anymore. I need to get away from this one for a while. No, God has given us one relationship where the homework, no pun intended, never stops. Wow, that seems kind of, I don't know. Let's think about one thing Jesus is like. Jesus, and this is kind of like his big purpose, right? I did not enter this world to be served, but to serve. Now, there's a lot of ways that you and I want to be like, want to, want to try to be like Jesus. But when, when you start talking about Jesus giving like, here's my whole purpose. And he says, I'm here to serve. And my goal is to be like Jesus. And I stood at an altar and took a vow. I just made an oath to God. I will serve this person as if I was Christ. That, that's the level of, of intensity we should be bringing to number three. You know, in other words, what you just made a vow at that altar was, I am devoted for the rest of my life of being a student of this person. I will never stop studying them, trying to understand them, so that I can best serve their need, right? Now, there, there, there's the specific need. There's what's going on in that moment. Then you, you kind of pan out from that, and there's just the, the general need. You know, we can help ourselves in this a little bit by just starting to grasp the general need, which is something I don't, I don't think we always think a whole lot about but what is the need of a wife? What is the need of, of a husband? What does God have in mind that marriage should be meeting the need of that wife or the, the need of that husband? Uh, one book, I've been putting books up here. I don't, I don't have it up here today. I'm sorry. It's Love and Respect by Gary Egerix. Egerix is egg and rich with an E in between, okay? Uh, Gary Agarix. And that, that is a wonderful kind of head start of understanding, and, that, and, and he's taking that from Ephesians 5, which is about marriage, understanding what this need is and the vow I made to meet it. And once you have a big picture understanding, you're taking a big step to hone in on the specific thing maybe going on in this in this moment. So we want to we want to tell. That, hey, do you like to be heard and understood? And yeah, everybody, everybody on the planet likes to be heard and understood. There's nothing like acknowledging this to say, I hear you. I understand you. And number four, kind of the obvious follow up. And here's how I'm committed to trying to serve that need. OK, so that, that's number one through four. That's what you're going to do in this conversation. Now, I said seven. Five, six, and seven are, are not conversation starters. They're not things that you do, but they're kind of some rules in this. Let's look at that. As your mate does number one through four, and you can kind of just erase the rest of what I wrote here and just write this. As your mate does one through four, shut up. Just shut your mouth. Don't, don't let anything come out at all. Don't, don't correct what they said. Don't add to what they said. And you know, it sounds kind of funny. This is a massive temptation. And I'll tell you right where it's going to happen. Right out of the gate. Because your mate is going to, you know, the last couple of months I've, I've noticed, I, you know, I have a tendency to do this and do that. And they're going to mention two things. And what you're thinking is, you're done? 
Because like, I got nine more. I got nine more you can mention that you've done wrong in the last two or three months. Listen. I, I, you know what? I trust you. I trust that they've got nine more. And the, the, the best way to those, that other nine things getting taken care of and conquered is, is them feeling okay about mentioning two. Let me tell you something, if, if this costs me, if this is a bad moment, if I leave this date sorry that I had this stupid conversation, that stupid pastor told me, I'm sorry, by the way, if you're in here with kids and you teach your children not to say stupid. I know, I, I say all these things, I try to teach my children not to, and you should, I'm still a child. Anyway, uh, let, me, let me tell you something, you're never supposed to say never, Right? You make me sorry that I did number one through four and I can guarantee you I will never have that conversation again. You, you, you make me sorry that I tried to do this and I'll guarantee you you won't ever have that conversation in your marriage again. Good luck getting to answers in your conflict. Listen, the goal is that, hey, that, that didn't hurt so bad. That was okay. I think we actually feel closer because that's the goal, right? Now, another rule, number six. And number six, that's, that's, you know, I've, I've been saying we can have this discussion without fighting. The key to that is number six. Do not discuss the fight last week. Do not discuss that, that issue that you were fighting about. Now listen, I'm not saying that the fight doesn't need to be addressed. I'm not saying that that issue doesn't need to be addressed. I'm saying not on this date. Not on the, yeah, it may need to be dealt with, but not on this. Because when we start talking about that stuff, what happens? Our, our defenses start going back up. I start wanting to defend the why. I want to re-explain. And, and, and that's how we end up fighting all over. Have you ever had a fight and, and things finally calmed down and you, you know, you kind of went into the other room and, okay, that's kind of over. And then you thought of the best point yet. And then you think, I... I left off the best point that shows why I'm right. I should march back in there and tell them, right? Do you know that temptation? I can tell you from experience that absolutely does not work. Don't, don't take your best point yet back into the room and say, hey, I thought of something else. Bad idea. Don't, don't, don't do that. No, we're, 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 when we start talking specifics... We're just, we are going to end up in an argument again. We're, remember, the goal of this is how, how I'm handling conflict, how I'm handling tension, how I'm, I'm dealing with anger. And then number seven, there's an old saying that the best part of fighting is making up. Yeah. Woo, go do that. Y'all know what that is, don't you? This ought to be the best thing I've said in three Sundays. He said, go do that. But if you're still confused about what that is, come back in two weeks. That's the message on a date that sizzles, and I'll fill in the rest of the blanks for you there. So that, that, that's the goal of this, is that we go do that. All right? Hey, listen, what this whole thing is about, and it actually is why there won't be an argument or interruptions, it's about me. It's not about my mate. It's about me taking ownership of what I need to deal with in my life. How I'm handling this wrong. That's why we're acknowledging, we're confessing, and doing those things tends to lead and move more toward change. Folks, God honors that. Your mate is going to honor that. 
Now, there is one big kickback to, to everything I've said this morning. One point, all seven points, this verse. There's one big kickback. I'd like to think, now I know at least one person in here is thinking this. My fear is a whole bunch of us are thinking this. And, 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 you, and, and this kickback can almost be said with a chuckle. You're, you're listening to all this and you're thinking, there's, there's no way on God's green earth my mate's going to sit down and have this conversation. There's, there's, hey, this is all fine and good. It ain't going to happen. It, it, my mate, one through four, it, it's never going to happen. And, and you know what? Here again, I'm going to take you at face value. You're, you're probably right. You're, you're probably right. With the information we have right now, with where things are right now, there's probably no real legitimate reason to think your mate's going to sit down and have this conversation. So, so then what do we do? You do it. You do it, and you leave the results in God's hand. Now, I'll be real honest with you folks. A big motivation for me in any of this, I'll do that, but, but they're going to do it too, right? I mean, it's not just me putting myself on the line here. They're, they're going to... Hey, you know what? This is really hard if they're not going to do it also. It really puts you out there in a really vulnerable place to be taken advantage of. You do it, and you leave the results to God. Probably won't be on a date. It might be at the kitchen table, maybe as you're climbing into bed, and you just say, hey, I just want to take a few minutes. I want to share something with you that's been on my heart. And you just go right down one through four in your mind as you take four or five minutes to share that. Romans chapter 12, 18 through 20 says this. If possible, so far as it depends on you. It's amazing how often in, in problems and relationships we are wholly devoted to what they should be doing, right? What they should be doing, what their responsibility is. God says, so far as it depends on you, you do your part. Live, it, live peaceably with all. And, and, and folks, the, the reality is you are, I am, wholesale disobeying God. Because the other person's not obeying God. I'd love, I'd forgive, I'd serve. I, I would do this, but come on, they got to do their part. When, when do they do what they're supposed to do? And in my mind's eye, I kind of imagine this conversation as I'm, as I'm standing before God and I'm explaining to Him why I did not do my part. And obviously, the one reason we all have for why we reject God's Word and rebel against God's Word is because they don't deserve it. Because they're not doing their part. And in, in my imagination, I kinda, I'm not saying God will say this. I just kind of always imagine God coming back this way. You know what? You're absolutely right. And I fully intend on dealing with it. When they're standing here. Right now, you're standing here. And what I want to know is why you rebelled against every word I gave you. And how to deal with this. 
If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never. There's not a person, there's not a situation, there's not a crime that makes something about you and that relationship different. Never avenge yourselves because you do a horrible job at it. All you do is make yourself as guilty as the person who needs to be judged and punished. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of of God. I don't want you to pay. You let me pay. I'm good at it. I work with all the truth. I, I, I am much more pure in my motives than you are. Let me handle it. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Don't be overcome by the frustration. Don't be overcome by the fact they do this over and over and over. Don't be overcome by the fact they won't obey God's word. Don't be overcome by the fact that they don't deserve it. But overcome. Come evil with good. If that's God's expectation of how I act with my enemies, what do you anticipate His expectation is of how we act? with our mate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, you, you know how much help we need here. You know how out of control we feel and how our emotion carries us away. You, you know. You know the evil that the other person is doing. You, you know how wrong they are. You, you, you know all that. And you've given answers. Lord, help me to realize that those aren't just rules to get into heaven. It's your strategy for how we work through this. I don't want to rebel against your strategy. I don't want to rebel against your way because of what somebody else is doing. God, help, help us to deal with this in a way that, that honors you. A way that honors and respects our mate and, and our marriage. Uh, Lord, in a way... That, again, if there's kids involved, I mean, our kids are going to deal with pain. Our kids are going to deal with frustration. I, I, I want their life in my home to show them how. God, would you help us handle this in a way that preserves and protects oneness? It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.